around this time last year, uh, we, my family and I, we had spent some time uh, standing around my sister's bedside. We uh, were in preparation. The doctors had told us that she had uh, fatal cancer and uh, that there was going to be this point uh, where everything that they have done, all the surgeries and everything, was, was not doing anything anymore and that we had just needed to expect her to pass. And so we continued to pray, and we prayed for the doctors, and we prayed for wisdom, and we really cried out to God. And we even, the community of faith that she belonged to, was praying, and, and we had people here praying. And, and then finally, uh, we received news one night. It was, it was around 2.30 in the morning. Uh, we had found that my sister had passed in her sleep. And it was that moment, you know, where we were all, you know, emotionally and mentally and physically, we knew that that day was coming. It was inevitable. But we just had this, this little bit of glimpse, this hope within inside of us that if we pounded on the doors of heaven long enough, that, that God would answer and heal her. And so after we had time to grieve and after we had uh, time to process, you know, my family and I, we still had questions. Uh, and, and, you know, being the pastor of the family, you know, you get some of those awkward, weird questions. And uh, I, I would say to my family sometimes, you know, just, I don't want to be a pastor today. I just want to be Jason. Just let me be Jason. And so I went through a process of grieving myself. I, I went through a process where I really began to ask God questions. There was days that I would wake up that I was angry with him. And him and I would kind of have like a yelling match, except he just didn't yell back. <laughs> I was doing all the yelling. <laughs> and, uh, and I'd throw a temper tantrum here and there, and, and then I would cry, and I'd sob, and then I'd be fine, then I'd be happy, and then I'd be sad again. And I would just keep asking God and say, you know, God, I just don't get it. I just don't understand. And see, here, here was my hangup. I was having trouble, trouble swallowing this reality because during that time, over at our youth, over at the summit where we gather, I was preaching on healing. And I was preaching and I was equipping these kids and telling them that, look, you have the ability to pray for the sick and they will be healed. And it was funny, they listened to me and they went and did it. <laughs> and so all of a sudden we had this influx where students started reporting miracles, literal miracles that were happening. They would pray for people on the bus with broken feet and at the end of the day, they weren't on crutches anymore. And this was the biggest one for me. I remember that this kid sat in the front row and I remember we gave a testimony about it. And I remember him saying to me, he says, I have a story about my mom getting healed. I was like, what? Okay, tell me. He said, yeah, my mom had breast cancer. And the doctors diagnosed her with breast cancer. They told her, you know, it's good luck. You know, it's not going to be good. And he says, so I went home. I laid hands on my mom. I prayed for her. She went to the doctors. They did another scan. There was no cancer. She's completely healed. I was like, that is awesome. You know, praise Jesus. This is fantastic. And so then I asked him again. I said, hey, let's just verify. So he verifies, gets the doctor's report. The woman's healed. So it gave me this hope. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? God, you healed her. You can heal my sister. And this woman didn't even know Jesus. And it's like, my sister knows Jesus. So, so I, I, know, I just know you can heal her. And she was healed in a different manner. So after a lot of processing and a lot of thinking, I just came to realize that life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. 
it's a hard thing for us to swallow sometimes. You know, I kind of liken it to the Wheel of Fortune. You know, I ever watch, you know, Pat Sajak or whatever his name is there, the big old Wheel of Fortune? I kind of liken it to life. Like, what if we would just take out all those numbers out of there and we would put back in there things like cancer, job loss, prosperity, goodness, joy, trauma, and, and, and this is what it feels like, right? We just wake up and we walk over to the big wheel of life and we give it the big old spin with the most strength that we possibly have and we stand back and we just watch that little kneel and we watch what we're hoping for pass us by. And we watch with suspense as the wheel slows down and the needle makes its way and we wonder where will that needle land in our life today? It seems as though life's fairness just doesn't always come out. No one's safe. When we spin the wheel of life, we realize that no one is ever safe. No one is exempt. Whether you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior or you don't know Jesus and you're in the process of discovering Jesus, we have to understand and realize that life isn't fair and none of us are exempt. It's like we spin the wheel and we say, well, who will get rich today? Who will end up being poor? We say, who will be successful or who will struggle today? And we're included in it. And there seems to be no logic for any of this. There seems to, to be nothing in the word of God that can give us just some clarity on this. It's just wherever the wheel lands and whatever the needle sticks on. In the Old Testament, the psalmist describes his pain, taking it from this view of knowing God and what he describes to us. So I'm going to encourage you to look with me at Psalms chapter 73, real briefly. But this is what he says. Now listen to this. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by any human ills. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. See, some of this, when we hear this or reflect on this, we can say, wow, you know what? That's my story. Man, I, I totally relate to that. That is my life right now. And there's others of us that, that we listen to that and we're like, oh my goodness, I can't even begin to fathom what life would be like if that was in my case. Some of us can't even touch the, that iceberg, the tip of that iceberg itself, because we've never experienced anything to, to that great depth in detail. It seems as though sometimes the hopes of Jesus coming in on this awesome white horse carrying this massive, awesome, sweet, you know, sword that he's wielding around that's on fire and he's got that cool looking crown on and he's going to come in and just slay everything evil in our lives and take it out and, and we're going to get on the horse and ride off with him into the sunset. And sometimes it just seems as though that's not the case. Sometimes we look at our situations and it feels like, a G -G 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 where's he going? And he just gallops on by. We look at those days and we wonder if he's going to rescue us from, from the evil or the sinful things that are, that are just seeming to strip things away from us. 
We watch around us and we see that some enjoy favor, the favor of God, and, and then there's others that don't. And we look at it and we say, but I'm a child of God. I should be enjoying the favor of God and I'm not. And, and then we see people who don't know Jesus and, and they're just like living it up and, and, and they're having, everything's going fantastic for them. And we strive to remain pure in heart as the, as the psalmist says. We strive to do the right thing and still it comes up favorless or unfair. But I'm here to tell you today that there's good news. There's good news. And I'm excited about this good news. The good news is found actually in a real life story. It's about two brothers. Now, now I, I got to give you a warning though. This is kind of a perplexing story. It's a little bit of a sad story. But, but, the, but the end result is, is this fantastic outcome. And you're probably going to think I'm crazy and mental once I tell you that, you know, who this is about. But it's about Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, and some of us know the story. Some of us have read the story, and, and others maybe never heard the story. But let me, let me just preface this for you. Cain and Abel are our brothers. And uh, it says in the word that, that Abel was, was a, a farmer. He was a sheep farmer, that he took care of the sheep. He, he would raise these sheep, and everything from sheep herding to shearing the sheep to processing the meat, selling it for goods, that's what Abel did. Then there was Cain. Cain says, says that Cain was the tiller of the land, meaning that his job was he was a harvester of the land. Everything from the fruits and the vegetables to the grains and all of these different things, that's what Cain was responsible for. And so here you got these two brothers, both hard workers. And they're in the same place together. And this is where we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 3, says this, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Now, this is interesting because, again, here we enter into this perplexing moment where we have these two brothers. One raises meat, the other one raises fruits and vegetables. They both bring an offering. But yet God only honors one and doesn't honor the other. Seems unfair. Doesn't seem too much like they have much favor in that situation. Now, we need to understand that in Scripture, there's not really much clarity as to why God didn't really honor Cain's offering. Some theologians say that because it was a first fruits offering, it meant that you were supposed to give the best of what you had. It says that supposedly some theologians say that Cain, you know, didn't give, give a blood sacrifice or offer that. And others, others will tell you that it was the attitude or the heart behind Cain that he gave it out of arrogance and, or he gave it, you know, out of an attitude. We really are not totally clear on that. But what we are clear on is this, is that God looked upon Abel's offering and saw it was good. But then he looked upon Abel's offering, uh, on Cain's offering, and he didn't see it as good. We do know that. We also know that there's no pattern here. There's no pattern. Both worshipers of God but no pattern, no pattern telling us why it's unfair and why it is fair. 
Yes, there are Christ followers, and you may be one of them that I'm about to mention. We give our all, we give our everything to Jesus. We do everything by the book, everything that we could possibly consider. We strive to live out the scriptures daily. We pray and we fast and and we not only just give our tithe, but we give an offering out of the abundance of our heart. We just go beyond wherever God calls us. And when we hear the Holy Spirit speak to us, we say, yes, I'm here and I'll go. And then there are those moments that we look and we're captured by disease or we're captured by sickness or job loss. We suffer financially. Our marriage goes down the tubes. And we look around and we say, but God, this isn't fair. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine who passed recently. His name is Benny Benson. I met Benny about three or four years ago at a men's conference. When I met Benny, he's just this jolly guy. You know, he's just kind of like the picture book of Santa Claus that you see in books. And He's just that, I mean, that is, if if you could capture Benny's character, that's it right there. I mean, the guy always had this smile, just always jolly and happy. Well, Benny had this call on his life at 52 years old. He had this amazing call to go minister to college students. In fact, he wanted to go to places where Jesus was not present. So one of the places that he went was Dartmouth College and and Colby Sawyer, Sawyer College. And he began his ministry there. He had no support financially. He, had, he didn't have a leadership team or nothing. He just went because God told him where to go. And at Colby Sawyer, there had never, ever been an actual Christian program on that campus before. No prayer, no Bible reading, nothing publicly known. Absolutely nothing. So Benny starts praying and things start happening. Kids start giving their lives to Jesus then he starts discipling all of these people who are, who are come to know Jesus. He starts discipling them and journeying with them through all the ups and downs. And then shortly after that, everything's going great. Benny's just given his heart to the Lord and he's just doing amazing things for the kingdom of God. And shortly after that, he gets the call that he has cancer. And so all of us men, we begin to rally around and we begin praying and we're praying and we're believing God that God is going to heal Benny, that God is going to break in at any moment and he's going to do something awesome. And within six months, when Benny heard that he was going to get cancer, Benny passed. And Benny kept going all the way up to the point where he could no longer go onto college campus anymore because he couldn't do it physically. At Benny's funeral, 500 people showed up, mostly college students. More than half is what he spent those years discipling. And you know what the common denominator was at that funeral? This just isn't fair. It's not fair that we have to lose Benny when he did all these things for Jesus. It just isn't fair. That brings us to this. We need to do the right thing. We need to do the right thing. See, when when we read in the scriptures about Cain and Abel, there is this, God seems to be so tactless and cut, and he leaves this dried statement to us. It seems as though there's no emotion that we're going to look at in just a moment. And what's crazy is, is that same response that he gives is the same response for us today. 
Let's take a look, a little bit deeper look here in the following scripture of Genesis 4, 7. This is what God says. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do what is right, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now see, at, at first glance, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, God, you know, that, that's so, so mean of you. That is so nasty of you. You know, where's your love in this? Like, where's your grace in this? You're just like, hey, you know, you do this, you're going to do it right, and you don't, you know, and you're going to die. You know, like that, that's like what I'm thinking when I'm thinking about God and his response to Cain. And then I took myself and I thought about this and I thought, gosh, what if God said that to me? You know, like there's no sympathy here. It seems as though, he, you know, he's not wooing us. And in the same manner, we're the same way when we, when we deal with other people. When we are in that moment, we're expecting somebody to coddle us. We're expecting somebody to woo us and, and be sympathetic for us. And, and when we go to God, we're expecting this, you know, this great embrace, you know, and this cuddly warm moment and, you know, maybe, you know, let him, him you know, putting our head up against his and, and, you know, we're just like, yeah, Jesus, you know, you'll take care of me. Everything will be great. But instead, Jesus's response, God's response here is simply this. Look, if you do what is right, everything's going to be good. But, but if you choose to do wrong, then it's going to be really bad for you. But, but let's not understand this for a moment here because, I, when I thought about this, I was like, wow, this really took me back. But let's focus on this really quick. That very last statement, it says, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. As a martial artist, uh, I, I, a lot of times I train my students and I, and I have this little motto that I use and I say, you know, it only takes one minute to change things. In, in, a, in a real fight, it only takes one minute. No matter what knowledge you have, no matter what skill you have, no matter how good you are, it only takes one minute to change that fight. It only takes one minute for you to look the different way and the fight is against you instead of you, being defend, instead of you defending yourself. It's like that with sin. You know, it, it only takes less than a minute with our decision to do the right thing or the wrong thing. And then it can switch up on us and sin can move in quickly. Daddy God's actual response to Cain and to us wasn't out of harshness. It was out of love. It's all in our perception when we read how God responded to Cain. At first glance, we're offended because we're like, well, hello, God, you know, you totally dissed his offering. Like, and, and, and so then we automatically look at it and we're like, well, oh my goodness, I, I can't believe you'd do that. And, and you're God, you should love him because he gave an offering. I mean, no questions asked. And in the same way, a lot of times we respond to God to say, hey, look, you're God. So let's show up in my hello situation here. Let's show up, do something. And we expect God to do. And then when he doesn't woo us and when he doesn't coddle us, he responds with this response and says, look, do the righteous thing. Do the righteous thing. Through his love, he instructs us to quit our sulking and our self-pity so we won't give sin an inch to move within us. I think of my daughter every time I read this, my five-year-old, when I tell her not to do something. You know, you get this little pouty lip, the lip comes out and then the arms cross and the head goes down. It's like the end of the world. 
And I used to, you know, I used to like go over and like hug her and I'd try and like, it's okay, honey, you know, and this is the reason daddy's got to do this. And, and then finally I realized and I learned, it's like there's got to be points where I can just step back and she needs to understand that it's not always going to be like that. That this is a growing moment. And there are moments in our lives when life doesn't seem fair and we will cry out to the Lord and we want to do this. And then we expect him to come over and say, it's okay, it's all right, it's all good. And there's moments he's going to step back and say, no, you have a choice to do the right thing. Yes, God wasn't pleased with Cain's offering, but that didn't stop him from loving Cain and desiring what was best for him. There are moments that God is not going to be pleased with our actions, but that doesn't disqualify us from his intense love for us. There will be these moments where our life, we will make a wrong decision. We won't do the right thing. We won't do the righteous thing. And yes, he will not be pleased with that, but that still doesn't mean he stops loving us. He'll continue to love us and call us and say, do the right thing. And also we have to understand that when there are things in our lives that seem unfair and they just don't seem right and we feel that we've been wronged, that doesn't mean we abandon God. I think of Benny. When Benny got word that he had cancer and it was terminal, he still didn't abandon God. He kept pushing through. My sister didn't abandon God. She kept pressing through until she just couldn't physically do it anymore. God doesn't punish his children, but he does discipline us. So we got to learn to do the righteous thing. That's all God wanted from Cain when he was talking to Cain. I realized this, that, that when God was talking to Cain, it wasn't this avenue of punishment. All he was doing was trying to stretch Cain's character to the place where God wanted him to be. God wasn't happy with the, with the offering, but he, God still loved Cain. And God was giving Cain the opportunity to do the righteous thing, the right thing. Which brings us to this. We must not only do the right thing, but we must have the right attitude. Now, I know this all sounds cliche, right? It's, it's pretty simple. Do the right thing, have the right attitude, right? Yeah, that's not really scriptural, right? But this is truth. There's something that happens when we do the righteous thing and we have a righteous attitude. And I know some of you are sitting there saying inside of your mind, you're like, but Pastor Jason, you don't know my situation. You don't even understand how bad I have it. And if you were in my situation, you'd have the same attitude that I have. If you were in my situation, you wouldn't want to do the right thing either. Even though I deserve somebody to do the right thing to me, that means I don't have to do the right thing. But let me tell you what, there's a reason why we're to dig deeper into the right attitude that God has for us. And we find it here in Genesis 4, continuing down in these verses. Starting at verse 8, this is what it says. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. 
you catch that attitude in there? Now, now I, know, I know we're focused on the murder right now of Cain, but let's back up a minute. Did you catch the response that he gave to God? He just took a human life, his own family member. He destroys his own family member's life. And, and when God asks Cain, where is your brother? He's like, I, I don't know. You're God, figure it out. Am I my brother's keeper? It's an attitude there. If we don't have the right attitude in the midst of our situation, it is so easy to indulge in our buffet of entitlement, in our buffet of bitterness. And then once we've ate long enough off of that buffet of entitlement and bitterness, we then become self-justified. And then once we become self-justified, we become like Cain. And eventually we feel justified by the actions we take. So life isn't fair right now for you. Well, yeah, it's not. And it shouldn't be. Because you know who I am? I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of Jesus. And I should have the favor of the Lord on me. And everything should go the way it should for me. That's entitlement. That's entitlement. And then once it doesn't come through, and once we look at God and we say, where are you? You're letting me down. You're not coming through. You're being unfair in my situation. You're not showing me favor. You're not being good to me. Then we become bitter. And that bitterness just stirs like poison. And it begins to eat away at us little by little by little. And then we realize that since God can't do his job, we need to do it for him. And therefore, we are self-justified by what we do next. And that's what we see with Cain. See, attitude is a choice. Attitude is a choice. I remember one morning we were in staff devotions on Tuesday mornings. We all gather, the whole office staff, and, and somebody has a rotation and they, they do devotions. And the, the devotions there that we do, they're, just always, they're always gut-wrenching. You know, it, is, it can be so simple, but yet so profound. And sometimes it just feels like you got smacked upside the head by a two by four when you walk out of there. And one day I remember Pastor Don was doing devotions and he says this simple but profound thing that really, really hit me in the gut. And it kind of, kind of ticked me off. <laughs> he goes like this, attitude's a choice. Anger's a choice. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say. Now, I didn't. I mean, I stayed there and listened. But as, he's, as he says those two phrases, they just kept playing over in my mind. And the more they kept playing over in my mind, the more mad I got at him. <laughs> he doesn't know this, by the way. This is all news. But we have a great relationship. <laughs> I realized that what he said some, struck something deep in me. I was choosing a different attitude. See, we have the choice to have a righteous attitude or an unrighteous attitude. Cain had that choice in the moments where it wasn't fair. There's been points in my life where, even knowing Jesus, I feel I've hit rock bottom emotionally, mentally, spiritually, even physically. And I've allowed my attitude to be unrighteous. And there came a point once I was in a pit so deep, 
man, there was things I was telling God that I had to go back and repent for. There was things I was declaring over my life that were so ungodly. And I was so angry and I was so bitter at God. And I was so upset. And I was just in this pit. All because my attitude was unrighteous. And when I realized that attitude was a choice, that's when I began to crawl out of my pit. Life isn't fair. Sometimes we're wronged, and sometimes we receive the wrong diagnosis, and and the innocent are murdered, and the murderers go free, and children are abused, and the abuser goes free. Unfairness is woven into the pattern of our lives, and there's no explanation. But we can do what is righteous, and we can have a righteous attitude. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is listed as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, long-suffering, perseverance. If you want to know what it means to have a righteous attitude, try and live out the fruit of the Spirit. That will align you with having the right attitude. When we make the right choice, when we do the right thing, and we have the right attitude, it is then that we'll discover that faith is the right thing. The writer of Hebrews actually talks about Cain and Abel. If you move over to the, cha- to the book of Hebrews and look in the chapters, you will see that their names are listed. He says that the only difference between Cain and Abel was faith. Abel had it and Cain didn't. Man, that's harsh. That just doesn't seem so fair. How blatant, you know, like how arrogant is for that writer to say that? Well, well, Abel had faith and Cain didn't. Oh man, that kind of irritated me a little bit. Yes, I have some anger problems. (laughs) Because it's not fair. No, really, I'm good, just so you know. (laughs) In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, this is what it says. By faith, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. Now, if you read on just a little further down, in there in Hebrews, this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's impossible to please God without faith. And faith is the right thing. The author of Hebrews goes on and lists example after example of those who knew faith, who lived by faith. Because they knew it was impossible to live for God otherwise if they didn't have that faith. Faith is the righteous thing. Faith is the right thing. So what if life isn't fair? That's the good news. Faith in God is still the right thing for us. That's what is fair. I repeat the words of God when he spoke to Cain. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? 
So let's real quick define what it means when God says you'll be accepted or it will go well for you. Some versions of this verse actually say it will go well for you when other versions say you will be accepted. When daddy God gave us this definition of well, it had absolutely nothing to do with our health. When he gave us the definition of well, it had nothing to do with our finances. When he gave us the definition of well, it had nothing to do with job security. When he gave us the definition of well, it never had anything to do with unfailing protection from a broken world. But what he does promise us is exemption from the second death, salvation. See, in the scriptures it says that there is the first death and then there's the second death. The first death is our physical bodies. Our physical bodies are destined to perish and pass. But after that, there is our spirit. Just moments ago, we witnessed a moment in time where people came forward and they gave themselves over to Jesus. And the Lord says in his word that when you invite Jesus into your heart as your personal savior, like these individuals did moments ago, it says that you will have everlasting life. That means you will surpass the second death and you will not die and perish in hell. And so here we have God say to us that faith is the right thing. And that even though it may not go well for you physically on the outside, what will go well for you is on the inside and you will have life beyond this. Isn't it funny how we get so wrapped up in all of this around us and we forget about how rich we really are and how much we really have? Salvation. So life isn't fair. And it's not going to be fair. But the beauty of it is, is, is that we have life beyond this. And that's what makes it well. The righteous thing is to have faith in the one who loves us because it's far better than what the world offers us. He never leaves us and he never forsakes us. Life isn't fair. We've discovered that. But for those of us who live by faith, we can stand and say that it is well with my soul. So I have the bad news and I have the good news. The bad news is life isn't fair. The good news is God loves us. And if you're a Christ follower, it doesn't get any better than that. And if you're not a Christ follower, I pray that you will discover that because that will change things. I'm going to ask you to stand. As we're finishing up over these past couple of weeks that we have been in this series about how our God is too safe and we've been stretching out beyond what we call the, the borderland where things are just mediocre. We've been taking the end of each service to make a public declaration through worship 
after what we have heard and received through the word of God. And so before you exit the building, I'm going to encourage you to remain here and just stay in this attitude, in this atmosphere of worship, and make this declaration. And I want you to see your circumstance that seems unfair. I want you to see it as you declare what we are about to sing. John, would you please lead us? Let me walk upon the waters wherever you 
faith will be made stronger in the presence of God. Let that song arise. Spirit God that life isn't fair but what we do declare is that you are in control and what we do declare is that our salvation rests in you and father in those moments when we feel as though everything is coming against us we know that we can look to you we know that we can make the right choice and have the right attitude and that our faith will increase so I declare over us this morning that we will know your love and we will flourish in our love for you, even in the midst when things seem as though they're unfair. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Enjoy your day. <laughs>